Welcome everyone to Force of Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host, David Bodcher. Terrific. This episode, we are going, we're going down under, mate, and we are going to <laughs> learn about uh, the time that Australia went to war with the large flightless birds known as emus. And Dave? Nice. <laughs> Dave, uh, spoiler alert, the emus won. It's a, uh, it's a pretty. Wait, si- what's a spoiler for? Oh, uh, I'm pretty sure I we had all that long to get ready for it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all are, are aware of this. It's a pretty silly story and one that I've had on the books that I've wanted to cover for quite a while, and I'm glad that we're finally doing it. It's it's funny, and I was trying to figure out. Well, what's funny is that I was trying to figure out what I wanted to cover for this next episode, and. I was literally watching TV and a Liberty Insurance commercial came on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have an emu character called Lemu Emu. And uh, along with Doug, of course. So when, <laughs> I, so when I saw that, I took it as kind of a sign to cover emus and the Great Emu War. Nice. So it made all the sense in the world to me. So uh, first, we're going to talk about emus. We're going to learn about them, uh, the biology and just kind of how they are and the story. And then we're going to learn about the story of the Great Emu War, and nice. which is uh, the story of the Great Emu War is what I, I, I like to think of it as a tragic comedy. Okay. You'll and I think you're gonna find out why. It's gonna be a real, a really fun episode. Uh, we oh. hope everyone enjoyed our last episode, part three of stories from last year, 2022. Uh, we had several elephant-related stories. We had an Amazon driver get killed by a dog, uh, a bison attack in South Dakota, and a drunk man that tried to kung fu emus. Which is, was another reason why I wanted to do emus because we had that that episode and it would just leak in and it would work well. But yeah, he, he yeah. was kung fu fighting emus. So go ahead and check that out if you haven't yet. Nice. Dave, as always, I well now just me. I am enjoined in the studio by everyone's favorite cheetah, Cheetor. Gentlemen, thank goodness it has stopped snowing here in northern Utah. Oh, I was getting so sick and tired of it. Anyway, I have something to tell you both. My good friend Dante the Rainbow Trout will be joining us next week. Oh, I cannot wait for you and all the listeners to meet him. He will be such a great addition to this mediocre show. Uh, mediocre. Well, <laughs> I did not know that was happening. He's he's going to have to bunk with Cheetor. Uh, man, I really don't have room for another guest. Uh, well, Dave, I actually did order a uh, plush rainbow trout. So we, <laughs> we uh, so Dante is is gonna be around for forever now. So now we have to we gotta create a whole backstory and everything for Don and a voice for Dante. Uh, yeah, tune in next time to see what Dante will be like. Did you say tuna in next time? No, I did not say he's, tuna. He's a trout. <laughs> We're gonna be fi- Don. Maybe Dante's just gonna be full of dad jokes like that. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Maybe we'll write that one down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, but before we you get going, fishy somehow. <laughs> before we get going, we just really want to thank all the listeners for tuning into us. We are Dave. We are the original Animal Story Animal Attack Podcast. And we appreciate all of you. And uh, if you want to help us out, what you can do is go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, say anything you want about the show, say something nice in the comment section. Also on Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. You can do comments on Spotify. And Spotify actually is about a third of our listeners. Oh, okay. So you can't do that on Spotify, but you can you can say you can give us a five star review, which uh, means a lot to us. And then uh, you can donate. We'll leave that in the description below and talk about it later. Yeah. But Dave, yeah, don't listen to Cheetor. It's a, we're, we're more than a three star podcast. You at, know? Le- at least. Yeah. Don't listen to Cheetor. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, you ready, Dave? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So first, we're going to learn a bit about Australia's national bird, the emu. The emu is a large flightless bird, and it is the second tallest bird after the ostrich. Okay. Ostrich are native to Africa, not in Australia, so they do not live together. And ostrich are the largest bird uh, known right now. Okay. And they are, so emus, however, they are actually only the, they're the second tallest, but they're only the fourth heaviest bird. Oh. So we're going to, so you have ostrich, they're the biggest, they're, they're number one heavy and length and tall and all that. Second, uh, cassowaries weigh more than emus. You remember what a cassowary is, Dave? Ah, I don't. I remember you talking about it before, though. We have talked about cassowaries uh, once or twice on the show so far. So cassowaries, they're shorter, but they are actually probably, they, I, I would say they are the most dangerous bird on the planet. Oh, wow. And we have covered a story of a cassowary killing a man. Oh, wow. Do you remember uh, which episode? No, I do not. It was, uh, no, I, nope, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the cassowaries are, it was in a, it was a floor, it was in Florida. So it was like a captive uh, cassowary and it did kill somebody. Maybe it, would, it might be your next door neighbor now, Dave. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> You'd be surprised. There's quite a lot of here. I don't doubt it. But uh, so, so we have ostrich, cassowary. You would never guess the third heaviest bird. What is it? An emperor penguin. Really? Over an emu? Emu? Over an emu. Wow. An emperor penguin is the largest penguin species on the planet. So yeah, emus can get over six feet tall and adults can weigh around 80 to 120-ish pounds. Uh, That is a little bit lighter than emperor penguins. That is crazy. And how tall does an emperor penguin get? Well, you, did you ever see Batman Returns? It's yeah. about Danny DeVito's size. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I don't, I don't know how big he is. I, I am not even that familiar with emperor penguins and how big they are. But they're, they're wider and they apparently weigh more than an emu on That's occasion. Crazy. So uh, the, the, Female emus are actually slightly larger than the males, which is kind of different from other birds. And although they are flightless, they do have very small wings on them. Then the wings are mostly used for stability and balance when they are running. And they are good. They're very good runners. They can run fast. They can run about uh, 30 miles per hour. Wow. And if you're taking, of course, the, an average human, maybe 15 miles an hour is what we've determined on the show before. Uh, it's very helpful when running from machine gun fire, which we will get, <laughs> which we will get to later when we cover this story. Anyway, their, their feathers are brownish gray color, but will vary depending on their environmental factors their feathers make them look shaggy they look shaggy it's a shaggy looking ostrich looking bird they're weird and they have they have a dinosaur looking feet with sharp claws and they can, that they can use to kick as a defense yeah. and compared with their body they have a tiny head emus are I, there's no other word but silly or goofy looking, they're uh-huh. just they're just odd. And especially if you look if you look at an emu straight in its eyes, it looks like their eyes are going cross-eyed, and they 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 just look like they're always confused. And Dave, their their brain is the size of a walnut. Wow, I believe it. Yeah, not <laughs> emus are fun. They're there's just <laughs> they're silly, and we'll get into that a bit here. Actually, in in the wild, they typically live in pairs, but do occasionally join in large flocks when travel. I guess flocks is the proper term, 
but uh, yeah. they join in lar- large flocks when traveling to new territories searching for food. And they actually are decent swimmers. Something oh. you wouldn't I'm, like thinking of uh, emu swimming just sounds weird. Yeah. It, it, it Can just you see him with odd. the bathing cap on and <laughs> <laughs> bathing cap on? Synchronized emu. <laughs> Synchronized <laughs> emu swimming. Yeah. Coming synchron- to you Thursday. <laughs> Coming to you Thursday. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's a super Australian. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and they're they're not like super into swimming, but they if they need to cross a river or cool down, they will they will go in the water. Okay. Uh, their diet is it's honestly pretty boring. Uh, various grasses, mostly uh, various grasses, mostly sometimes some insects, sometimes the bodies of dead Australian soldiers. Whoa. Just kidding. They they do not eat <laughs> the bodies of dead Australian soldiers in the war. That did not happen. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> due to their uh, arid habitat, sometimes it can be difficult to find water. So they can go quite a while without drinking. Like for days and days, they can go without drinking water. Wow. So like they're the they're the camels of the bird world. Okay. And when they do find a good water source, just like camels, they will gorge themselves nonstop for sometimes like 10, 15 minutes. It's just nonstop drinking. Wow. Uh, And an interesting thing I did not know, uh, once a female lays her eggs, it's the male that takes the most care for the egg, like a penguin. Huh. And the eggs, the eggs look like a giant Easter egg, which is convenient. It's not, it was Easter Sunday last week. Did anybody right. find a giant ass emu egg? I don't think so, but <laughs> they look like a giant uh, Easter egg that, that they and they're like this uh, turquoise color. They're actually kind of oh. cool looking, and the majority of the time. After the female lays the egg, she takes off and she huh. goes to she'll go and meet with other males after that. Oh, I'll bet she tells him she's going to her mom's house for a while and then she doesn't really. Yeah, well, then we can put a lot of things into that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the majority of the time, yeah, the, the female will lay the eggs and then it, she will not always, but most of the time she will take off. And try to find another male to mate with. And then the male is uh, taking care of the eggs that she laid and watch after them for several weeks until they hatch. Sometimes, sometimes the female will stick around and will help out with the eggs, but not always. And Uh newly hatched eggs are active right away after they're hatched. and They're going to be full grown within six months. Wow. They're going to leave mom and dad, or maybe just dad, or maybe nobody. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to leave after about six months. They're fully grown in six months. Crazy. And emus normally live around 10 to 12 years in the wild. You know, I've kind of figured, uh, I've through so much of doing this show, like 10 to 12, 13-ish years is pretty standard for most animals. That's crazy. Like most uh, predator animals, so like the big cats, it's it's ten to thirteen years is typically the uh, their age range, and it's just very interesting to figure that out. Yeah, uh, and when it comes to emus having natural predators, they really only have one. Dave, what do you think that predator is? And no, it's not humans. Uh, a dingo. It very good. It is a dingo. A dingo, mate. <laughs> so dingoes, they are they're the wild dogs that live there in Australia. And they are, for nowadays, that's pretty much their only predator. Another predator that you, they used to have was the thylacine. Do you remember what that is, Dave? I don't. It's the uh, Tasmanian tiger. We have brushed upon it a couple times, but they were... Uh, they were extinct in 
in Australia about 2,000 years ago, and then they were extinct in Tasmania just on about 100 years ago. Wow. I think the last one died in a zoo in Berlin in 1936. Oh, wow. That was a thylacine. It was a... It was a predatory marsupial animal it was it's a very interesting thing and i that's one i think we should, we're gonna have to do some uh, a bit on the thylacine at some point yeah but the uh the other the only other predator that they may have faced that they might face in the wild is actually a wedged tailed eagle really sounds interesting right yeah uh the largest Bird of prey in Australia. So the largest raptor, that's what we call them. And they can actually, they actually go for a, a newly born chicks or like they'll go for an adult if they need to. Wow. Uh, they do have predators to take that will take eggs like monitor lizards, other raptors, uh, foxes, dogs, and dingoes, and even pigs will go wow. after emu eggs. Well, once fully grown, the only real threat they have when it comes to predators is dingoes. Okay. They don't live in in northern Australia, northeastern Australia, where there's the saltwater crocodiles. So they're, yeah, they're spending, unless the kangaroos start eating meat, then they're good. (laughs) Nice. So Do you see one of those match up? Do what? Can Can you picture a kangaroo and an emu? In a boxing ring? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very interesting fight. I'm going to go with the kangaroo. Though. <laughs> so, uh, emus are actually farmed in many places around the world. In the U.S., there are about a hun- uh, one million emus here that are being farmed. Wow. And I've, I've, I've never seen one around here, but when I lived in Tucson, I... I'm aware that there was an ostrich farm nearby. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm, now that we do the show, I I, God, I wish I would have visited it and just learned more about it. But uh, there, they the emus they are farmed in other countries as well. Uh, so I, dude, I would like to try some emu meat. Would you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're open. I told you, I think. I, we have a, there's a fairly famous burger joint he, near where I, in Ogden area, called Burger Bar. And every month they have a, a meat of the month, and it's supposed to be an exotic one. So last time I went, which was several months ago, I had a kangaroo burger. Oh, wow. Uh, to be honest, they could have just put cow meat in there, and I would have not known the difference. <laughs> You wonder if that's what they did. They just add some well, Australian spice and, on the and they'd say it's kangaroo. <laughs> it's kangaroo, mate. I don't know, but apparently I <laughs> have had a kangaroo burger. I it just tasted like a burger. I'm going to be honest. Oh, okay. However, so emus, they are on the Australian fifty cent coin. Oh. And there is an emu I mentioned earlier, uh, Lemu Emu, in the Liberty Mutual commercials. That was basically the sign for, to do this episode. Uh, a newly, so there's a newly famous emu uh, named Emmanuel. He is TikTok famous, and it, his videos are actually really funny, Dave. The the so the woman is trying to film her with the other uh, farm animals. She's trying to film the other farm animals. Just making videos and trying to teach people about the animals that he has on her farm. But uh, Emmanuel does not like when the camera is not on him. And <laughs> so the other far, uh, Emmanuel steals is constantly stealing the spotlight, jumping right in front of the camera. And it, it always knocks. Well, she's got her phone and it always knocks her phone down and then like stares at it. Uh, <laughs> At a bird's eye level, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, It's actually really funny. So everybody should go check out Emmanuel, the uh, emu there. Nice. Oh, and uh, by the way, on our conservation scale, it's a seven point scale. One being extinct and seven being of least concern. Emus are, what do you think they are, Dave? 
I'm thinking a six. Seven. So they're they're okay. of least concern. However, okay. uh, back in 1923, emus were classified as vermin in Australia, which plays wow. a role in our story. Uh, and then they were reclassified in 1999 as a protected species. So basically, don't shoot emus unless okay. it was um, you had written consent from the government or whatever. Okay. All right. So, Dave, that was a good amount to cover about emus. I feel like we all are aware of emus. We know what they look like. We know what they are at this point. So, Dave, are you ready to get into the war? Let's do it. Well, Dave, in order to do that, we need to do something first. We actually need to dust off an old machine, an old machine that we haven't used in a long time. And they, Dave, that is our time machine. Sometime, somewhere. Well, Dave, I'm glad that, well, now that we both live across the country, it's uh, very fortunate I was able to order mine and it came in yesterday. So we are able to do this show now. <laughs> we are able to cover this story just because Must I have got it on Amazon. Got it on Am- yeah, Amazon, sure. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, we are going back to Western Australia in 1932 and the story of the Great Emu War. It has kind of uh, taken a life of its own in recent years since uh, social media YouTube, they've been able to, they do a lot of videos, there's a lot of videos on it, which are fun, and I watched a lot of them, and a lot of them are really funny, but it, 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 and it very much could be called history's dumbest war. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is generally mocked, and it's kind of a joke nowadays, but Dave, I, I, I did a deep dive, and however... The emus were actually a real problem in the area, and I think this is a tragic comedy, this story. Okay. So when I tell the story, I want to I want to cover all of the silliness involved in it, which there is plenty. But I, to me, when I after going doing all the research in this story, there is a real human element which I can't help but feel for. Make sense? Okay. So yeah. let's get into why I would feel that way. The story takes place in 1932, and we're actually going to go a little bit back a little bit more into the lead up of the war. After the Great War, which it was called at the time, that was World War I. So uh-huh. large numbers of Australian veterans were given land by the government to farm in Western Australia. Often the land was quite harsh and very difficult. It was very difficult to grow anything in some areas of that uh, Western Australia. How bad? Yeah, there were obviously some areas that were better than others, but it was hard to grow stuff. The main thing that would grow in the area was wheat. This area of Western Australia is known as the Australian Wheat Belt. Well, in the 1920s, wheat prices were really low. That wasn't just after the war. So they just got settled in their, in the, the thing of the farmers, they just got settled in their new farms given to them by the government and they're told to grow a certain crop. Oh, that crop is worth barely anything. Ah. Uh. And then, obviously, you know what hip happens next is the Great Depression. That hits in October 1929, and things got even worse for the farmers there. Wheat prices dropped, like, even way, way, way lower than that. The economy was very bad, and the government failed to give assistance. They had promised subsidies, uh, which is financial aid from the government, but the farmers never received the subsidies. There and then taking count, there was also a big drought in the early 1930s. Things were really bad for these farmers. They were lucky to make a profit. For, they were lucky to make a profit from their wheat crop. Sometimes it went in the negatives. And mm. and being a farmer in the 1930s, 
in remote Western Australia. I feel like that's hard enough. Yeah. So by 1932, the veterans were broke. They were angry. And now they're planning to withhold their wheat crop until they can get a fair price. And the government was in need of the crop. They wanted the crop. And they also wanted to prove that they actually cared and they weren't as out of touch as they appeared to be. So I want to put over, I am, um, I did that to put over the real issues that the people faced. This is actually serious stuff that they're going through right now already. Right, Dave? Yeah. So now we are going to take a look at the other point of view on the war. We're going to take a look at the emu side. Okay. (laughs) So during 1932, the emus, they were having it. They were also having a difficult time. Like I said, there was a drought going on, causing a lack of food for the emus. With no other options, this made the emus go further in their migration than usual. They were forming large... I think it's safe to say... I think it's safe to say they were feeling some emotional damage. <laughs> Alright, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, normally you're... Uh, yeah, okay, that was a good one. <laughs> so, they... <laughs> With their emotional damage, they were, uh, they would all gang together, uh, forming large groups or I guess flocks, and this led to what we can call, we can only call as a an emu blitzkrieg. Nice. <laughs> I figured you would like that. You're a big war, war two guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, twenty thousand emus now showed up at the wheat farms there in Western Australia. And so, Dave, I, if we look at this perspective, Dave, I'm not an emu, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but if I was a hungry emu on the search for food, wheat farms would be a pretty dope place to go for it. Yeah. Uh, I, that is some, uh, you can chow down on some sweet, sweet wheat. <laughs> I, fe- I thought you would like that one, too. <laughs> Right. So hopefully, as, so with the emus, I want to give both sides and hopefully I've given you a, a good stance for both sides on the upcoming war. And we understand that the Australian farmers are broken, angry, and then we understand that the emus are very hungry and they also don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, they're ready to stick it to the man, too. <laughs> Yeah, they're also, yeah, they're going to stick it to the man for sure here in a bit. (laughs) I think that was a pretty good setup. What do you think, Dave? Yeah. So, Dave, when the emus arrived in the area, they started eating that yummy, yummy wheat. And the farmers, they didn't have proper fences to keep the emus out or anything. What they did have, though, were rabbit fences, and the emus could easily put gaps in them. Uh, this also brought in the rabbits who were notorious varmint. Uh, actually, r- <laughs> rabbits are to this day a big problem for Australian crops, still to this day. And they're oh, they're right. also an invasive species brought by Europeans like in the 1700s. Okay. Well, the rabbits are a whole nother thing, and you you can kind of fix the the fences to contain the rabbits. So we're putting the emus as the real enemy here. And the farmers, they had, well, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say they, they, uh, they, uh, recruited the rabbits to help them in the war. Then they recruited them, but they, they didn't, and, uh, total to much. Actually, maybe, maybe, maybe you can say they're the, the main foe nowadays. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, the farmers, they had rifles and stuff, but, uh, you know, a handful of rifles with a handful of men with limited ammo, it's not going to add up to much. So yeah. the farmers, what they did is they went to the Ministry of Defense in Canberra, which is the capital. Uh, they went to Sir George Pierce about the problem emus. Well, Pierce and the government thought this might be a good way to show the farmers that they actually care about them. Uh, they haven't given the promised financial aid, so they saw this as a 
they saw this as a cheap opportunity to win the farmers over. And when I okay. and when I say cheap, I mean cheap. Pierce agreed to help the farmers, but with a few conditions. The farmers asked for machine guns. They were former soldiers, and they think that machine guns would um, help cull the emus. And so Pierce and the government said, sure, but only military personnel will use these machine guns. They're kind of like, okay, fair enough. However, the government also said troop accommodations, food and transport, as well as all the ammunition that they use will be paid for by the farmers. Oh my goodness. What cheap they, asses. They just, <laughs> now it's like the, they're, they're, the farmers are now paying for it themselves. Yeah. And the government's like, we're helping. Uh, that, that makes no sense. Uh, it makes no <laughs> sense, but that is exactly what happened. Wow. So we are going to meet a man. Dave, we're going to meet a man. His name is... Okay, hold on. <laughs> so his name is Wild. And he... Well, so this guy was put in charge of leading the war on the emus. His name is... Okay. Major... Oh, boy. Gwendid uh, Purves Win Aubrey Meredith. What a name. So... Wow, he, yeah. I, I don't think I got that. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you don't need to get that. He uh, he mostly goes by GPW Meredith. Yeah, Dave. Okay, Dave. We're just gonna call him Major Meredith, or just Meredith. There we go. <laughs> but that right. that was his name, and he he used to be. So his previous job is he was a part of the Australian Cavalry, and as yeah, I'm sure everybody knows, the Australian Cavalry they don't ride horses; they ride kangaroos. And really, <laughs> no, Dave, not really. <laughs> and that was a joke. I don't know. You, I'd, you'd believe it because emus <laughs> just won a war against them. Wouldn't that be funny? A cavalry of uh, men riding kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we're going to catch them up. It's <laughs> funny that you kind of I'm bouncing on my ball in the studio. Boing. It's <laughs> funny that you almost believed that. <laughs> but and actually, these uh a party emu emu <laughs> and I, well actually uh these uh the cavalrymen when they ride the kangaroos they actually sing a war song dave do you know what that war song is um i have a i have an inkling Holding in the nap, tiny kangaroo down sport tiny kangaroo down tiny kangaroo down sport tiny kangaroo down so they were in the war <laughs> <laughs> they ride kangaroos. You really believed me for a second, like, didn't you? Hey, I was thinking, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> I didn't expect you to to believe it. That's funny. Just for a second, obviously. But <laughs> all right, okay. I'm gonna start up again. Okay. Okay. Okay, all of that is obviously fake, Dave. Nobody rode kangaroos <laughs> as a cavalry. It would be funny though, wouldn't it? And like, and with the if they're playing, if they're singing that song, it would be strangely intimidating. I feel like. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's other ways to reasons to believe it. I mean, there was a Captain Kangaroo, so I mean, you never know. Yeah, there's a Captain Kangaroo. There's a Kangaroo Jack. Why, why not? Cavalry men, the kangaroos. <laughs> uh, so, so, and there really isn't much known about else known about uh, Major Meredith, other than his involvement in the Emu War, which is honestly probably for the best for him. <laughs> seeing how things go, uh, some versions of the war give the impression that the entire army. Of it, or maybe like a full company went to war with the emus, while in reality it was a, uh, it was just three men. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it was just oh three. It was just three soldiers. Um, we have Major <laughs> Meredith, who is sent to us to Western Australia along with Sergeant McMurray, 
and Gunner J. O. Holleran. It sounds like straight from uh, Call of Duty characters. Hey, there you go. Sergeant yeah. McMurray. <laughs> and well, they were also sent with a cameraman from Fox Movie Tone to film <laughs> their obvious quick victory that they expected. Okay. No, I don't think that one's right. Why? They did have a cameraman? They had a cameraman. Are you serious? Yeah, and there's like barely any footage. I don't okay. think they I don't think they let the footage get out because it was embarrassing to Oh them. my goodness. <laughs> okay. Yeah, now you can't fault me for for believing that they rode on kangaroos <laughs> when they're when they're sending a cameraman for this. Yeah, they sent a oh. cameraman for it. So they wow. was uh, supposed to be an obviously quick victory. But so they were all, they the three soldiers they also come with two Lewis machine guns. Dave, do you know what okay. Lewis machine guns are? Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones that have the uh um the uh, magazine on the top, right? Yes, yes they they, they do. Yeah. So they're they're a very large machine gun and was used by the US and Britain in World War One, and then even in World War Two, it's a big ass gun, and it's one that you have to mount in order to shoot. Like a man, Crazy. a man could not shoot it unless it was mounted on the ground. Or I've even seen uh, photos of they put it on another guy's shoulder to mount it, uh-huh. so you can mount it with another another guy. But with without mounting it, you can't shoot that big ass gun. That sounds horrible. If you're, it, oh my goodness, that, to mount it on your shoulder. Think oh, about sounds, that. I saw a photo. Da, of da, it. Da, da. And then, and then to think all that's just ringing in your ear the whole time. Ringing in your ear the entire time. <laughs> sounds terrible. Oh, that'd be the worst job in the military. I agree. <laughs> well, that's what these three guys were tasked in this war. <laughs> Mount up. Oh, I get the kangaroo. No, I'm mounting a gun on you. <laughs> now I'm thinking of a kangaroo mounted with a machine gun. So. <laughs> anyway, this, 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 the Lewis guns, they are serious. They're, they are a serious gun and they mean business when they're being used. So basically the three men go to war equipped with two heavy machine guns along with 10,000 rounds and they are going to war with 20,000 flightless emu birds. Wow. And the war was supposed to begin a few days earlier, but rainfall had delayed them, and which also caused emus to scatter a little bit more and scatter into a few uh, smaller groups. Okay. So on November 2nd, a group of about 50 emus was spotted. So Meredith and his team went on their trucks to try to herd them up. But emus, the emus quickly bolted. So emus are not like most pack animals. They, they traditionally don't even hang out in packs or flocks or groups, whatever you want to call it. They're typically just like we, like I said, they're in pairs. So they, okay. uh, when they do come together, it's just <laughs> chaos and when the truck started driving, the, the emus just bolt in literally in every direction. There's no organization. It's literally just chaos. Not what the soldiers <laughs> expected. <laughs> They're expecting the emus to line up and march. <laughs> ah, here we go. They expected them to give up and surrender right there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the, no, the emus, they just bolt and they just bolt in all directions. And emus are fast. Like I said, they can get to 30 miles an hour. So Meredith and his team, yeah, they went out of the trucks trying to herd him up. Emus bolted, and uh, the emus run in all directions. Shots were fired. Zero emus were killed. So we're, they're they're not uh, Meredith and his men are not off to a good start right now. Oh boy! So actually, later that exact same day, another group was spotted. Uh, Meredith had the farmers he had the farmers attempt to herd the emus into an ambush this time with the machine gun, not mounted. This is exactly what I was talking about there. It's not mounted in it. They, it was met or excuse me. It was mounted on the guy's shoulder. 
So uh-huh. it wasn't mounted to the ground because the brush was too tall. So they mounted it on the guy's shoulder. And he just, when as soon as he thought they got close enough, he just started just firing the machine gun. And they were able to kill about a dozen emus on this. These were the first victims of the war. First blood. (laughs) So on the next day, they went out in trucks again, and they were able to kill another nine emus. Uh, Not exactly the amount they were hoping for. And for them, it was kind of hard to spin killing less than 20 emus in two days. (laughs) It was hard to spin that as a success. Especially with all the ammo that they used. Yeah. And And if the farmers could do math, I think they'd figure out pretty quick. We can't even afford three soldiers. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take that right. Uh, Emus, they are, they're way tougher than you think actually. And they can get, they can get shot multiple times and still keep running away. Apparently that's what the, the soldiers were experiencing. So on November 4th, Meredith and his men set up an ambush near a dam. They waited for a group of around 1,000 emus. That's so many emus. Wow, yeah. They waited for them to get close. They're waiting for them to get close, and they have their machine guns, and they're... Think about it. You can mow down an enemy in that situation, right? Yeah. So... When they when the emus get into firing range, they start shooting. Actually, they only had one of the guns at the time. So they were just using one gun. However, after they shot just a handful of rounds, the Lewis gun jammed. And only about 12 emus were killed again. So they had a thousand emus ready just to be slaughtered legitimately. And they shot a few rounds till their gun jammed. And then, so apparently the, all the soldiers, the three soldiers, all the soldiers, the three soldiers started cursing up an Aussie storm. So I can't, I'm not going to (laughs) repeat what they would say, but, uh, they started, uh, cursing up an Aussie storm. And then the, the emus, they gave a feathered middle finger to them as they ran away. <laughs> the emus gave him the bird. <laughs> the emus gave him the bird. I like that line. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't actually do that biologically, but I like to think that they did. <laughs> nice. Uh, so far, the war is not going very well for the humans. Uh, Meredith believes the emus are humiliating his reputation. And things don't really go well for him and the soldiers the next few days either. They went further south to another flock of emus and mounted a machine gun to the truck and tried to do like drive-by shootings. <laughs> well, it's uh, as you can imagine, Dave, it's kind of difficult to shoot a big ass machine gun on uh, while you're going off-roading on a bumpy ass road. So no, they didn't even get a shot off. And they couldn't even keep up. They couldn't even keep up with the emus. The emus are running faster than the truck can go. It sounds like a TV show to me. I picture it in my head. Hi, I'm Sergeant Knoxville. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> Bouncing out of the truck. <laughs> We're going to go shoot some emus and they don't even get a shot off. <laughs> yeah, so oh, it, this, things are just not going well. And... At the same time, Dave, uh, farmers are trying to kill the emus as well, right? Yeah. So there's a story of one farmer that rammed his truck into an emu, <laughs> and then the, the the dead the emu got caught in the wheel, and then it caused the oh, truck to crash in the wheat field. <laughs> I mean, just it sounds so silly, huh? Oh my goodness. <laughs> So it, oh boy. So in the first week of the war, only about 50 emus were killed <laughs> with about well, and we don't know exactly. We're this is what was written down. It's about 2500 shots fired for 50 this emus. Sounding, this is sounding like a Monty Python movie, is <laughs> that yeah, that, that really is and it's it's oh, wow. a, not a very good ratio there. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, luckily, though, uh, no Australian soldiers have been killed. Okay, <laughs> have been killed fair. in the the Emu War. No, none of them. <laughs> so Meredith and his men were receiving negative coverage in the papers. Uh, politicians are laughing at the entire thing. It, it's it's become a joke <laughs> after just after one week. It, the whole thing has be, become a laughing stock for the entire country. Uh, one even uh, said if they would start forging medals for the war, saying that the medals should go to the emus. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and on not, uh, November 8th, uh, Meredith was ordered by the government to stop embarrassing them and withdraw from the war. Wow. Uh, uh, so one paper jokingly said, no treaty of peace has been concluded and the emus remain in possession of the disputed territory. <laughs> the papers and the, they were just messing around with this whole thing. It's, it's, it's like a field day for him to make fun of the government, which fair enough, right? Yeah. Uh, so here is a quote from Meredith about the emus. This is an exact quote. If we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulu warriors whom even dumb, dumb bullets can't stop. Do you know who uh, Zulu so, so now, warriors are? Yeah, yeah. In Africa, they would like just keep coming. and If you shot them multiple times, they would just keep coming. Uh, so that yeah. is what he is basing the emus as, I guess. So now the the military or the government is touting the emus as the superior soldier <laughs> pretty much the <laughs> <laughs> mean so like the three soldiers that were sent to fight the war oh that's funny you know in their defense though think about an emu would be something hard to hit you know in their just long spindly legs long you know long neck and 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 a head the size of a walnut you know it's just <laughs> It's not going to be easy to hit. You're not wrong. And so there's a part of this which makes me like, I feel bad for the soldiers. They were sent to something that they couldn't do no matter what. Yeah. So, yeah, but like so far, this is like a Looney Tunes episode, right? Yeah. Uh, Nothing really going in the human's way. And they were sent off. However, Dave, the war is not over. Oh. Withdrawing from the war so soon still left the emus. They were still a problem in devastating the wheat fields. The veteran farmers are not pleased and put pressure on letting the soldiers back to get rid of the problem emus. With the pressure, it was agreed that the soldiers would return to the war. Meredith is going to get another chance. He's going to get another chance. To humiliate himself. (laughs) After just four days of being withdrawn, the three soldiers are then sent back to the battlefield. For the the next few days, things were not terribly bad for Pierce and the men, or excuse me, for Meredith and the men. They were able to kill a few dozen emus in the first few days. And for the next few weeks, they killed about 100 emus a week. Not what they wanted, but it was something. Then on December 10th, the war was called off and it had officially ended. When the emus stormed the capital, which led to a coup, and the emus remain in power to this day. (laughs) I I would believe that too, because everything else is crazy. (laughs) Just think, just just picture like emus storming a capital. That sounds hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why I think that's funny but it is uh, no that did not happen uh, so it was just called off uh, it's very debatable if the whole thing was a success or not most say not debatable well, if it's a success yeah it was <laughs> well oh, Meredith he claimed that they had killed uh, around a thousand emus during the war which out is out of five hundred thousand. Out of no no out of twenty thousand. Oh, 20, okay. 
But uh, yeah, that's a uh, very likely inflated. Yeah, he did say it didn't though. Sound like it? Yeah, it sounds inflated. And he, he. However, one thing he did say, Ring does I I believe to be truthful. He did say that a a couple thousand might have been shot, but they and they might have died from gunshots later. Okay. So I can believe a little bit of that. He said about two thousand. I don't know about that number, but maybe. So it's still kind of a, it might be true. <laughs> Who knows exactly? Yeah. But when you, when you lay heavy machine gun fire on a big group of six foot tall, big ass birds, you're going to be bound to hit something. <laughs> and they oh, used, boy. they, they used all, it was almost exactly 10,000 rounds were used during the war. Wow. So ten thousand birds, maybe a thousand killed. That's that's being uh, nice to uh, Meredith and yeah, his men. That, yeah, that's generous for machine gun fire. If you think about it, yeah, you know, one in every you get a kill at you know, one every ten bullets. That's, yeah, that's I don't know. I'm not buying it. Yeah. So who knows the exact amount? But that's what they claimed. So in the aftermath in the aftermath of the war, it was actually kind of brutal for the government, but strangely cheerful for everyone else. <laughs> for, for most Australians, the, the story gave them something to laugh at. Uh, yeah. to, it gave them something to laugh at, gave them something to make fun of, because, you know, it's during the Depression, you know, people. Yeah. It was hard to laugh at stuff. And so when their government fails, yeah, you're going to laugh at that shit. And especially when you get taken down by a flightless bird. So yeah. it became, it, that's kind of where it became uh, a joke. The whole war became a yeah. joke. And while it, while it's easily laughed at by most, uh, there is the veteran farmers still had a rough time. Uh, we can't that. we can't take that away. And they were continually let down by the government. No subsidies, barely any help at the emus. So you really do feel bad for the farmers here. That's why I call it a uh, tragic comedy. Yeah. And so following I, the, they had the short end of the stick the whole way around. I, I mean, yeah, it was appalling to think that's all the government was, was going to do or could do. And then at the same time, pretend they're helping while, the, while these poor farmers that needed the help are paying for it too. Now they just yeah, paid. The now they just funded it part of, you know, well, a three person military, I guess, but either way, still. It's ah. a it's a joke. It's a laughing stock. The politicians were just trying to get some clout to make them look good, and it failed miserably. So, yeah. um, they were yeah, like they were continually let but let by that down by the government, no subsidies, barely any help with the emu. So you you feel sorry for them. And uh, following the war, the government actually had the audacity to send bills to the farmers, charging them for the ammunition used. Wow. So what the some of the farmers did is they uh, sent back their own bills that for the food and lodging that the soldiers used, and they just sent their own bills to the government. So good for them. Nice. <laughs> and the, we'll get back to you. They probably, they'll get back to them in twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So the farmers Sorry, that, that needs to be submitted to this department, and uh... <laughs> so the the farmers were even. Uh, so the farmers asked. For assistance in later years, even as well, they asked for assistance with more emu-related problems in 1934, 1938, and 1948. They were turned down by the government. The government just said, "No, nah. no, nah, mate, you're good." I can't believe they even asked. Well, oh, they you, they asked, and, think... and it didn't oh. it didn't come for them. They uh, so the farmers kind of learned your lesson. Well, they, they did, uh, in a sense. So uh, the farmers kind of realized that they there was no help from the government, so they had to take matters in their own hands. In the following years, emu culling became a feature in Western Australia. Like, it became, like, a tourist attraction, right? It became, like, come kill the emus here, please. Uh, in one six-month period... In 1934, over 57,000 emus were killed. Wow. 
And I, I really wish I could find more information about this, but uh, I really could not find it anywhere. Oh. So even this didn't put much of a dent in the emu population, though. At one point, wow. in the, at one point in the forties, someone actually proposed to the bombing of emus in the from the air. They wanted wow. to bomb emus from a plane. My goodness! Fortunately, that did not happen. God, how stupid would that be? How do you, mommy? How do I solve my problems? You bomb them. Bomb you bomb it. them. <laughs> so luckily, that wasn't uh, that did not happen, and. Throughout the years, the veteran farmers began, so after the war, the farmers began leaving their farms. It wasn't until like the 1950s that the government actually did something about the emu population, about the problem. They agreed to pay for an emu-proof fence that extended around the wheat belt uh, about 217 kilometers, which is, or kilometers, which is about 135 miles. Uh, I guess Ooh. it was something since there hasn't been another emu war since. <laughs> and the, the absence of emus and the economy picking up in the 1950s, in the 1950s led to many uh, farms recovering and they began doing quite well. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. And I am, I am not knowledgeable about, uh, Western Australian farming at this point. Uh, so I hope it is all, I hope it's going well now about a hundred years later, but I don't know anything about Western Australian farming. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so Dave, uh, at this point, what do you think about the story? Uh, I think it's crazy, but it's, it's... pretty funny. Uh, and that's how comedy was born kids. Yeah. <laughs> How in the world? Ah, oh, it's um, so. Would Dave? Would you agree oh, when I say, like I said, it's a tragic comedy? Yeah, it is for the yeah. Think about it both for emus and the farmers, but same time, it's uh, what a mess. Yeah, what a mess. It, it it made every it made the Australian government look terrible. Uh, and a, a lot of the story is due to the depression, like the wheat and just just everything kind of added up at once. The drought, which led to the emus coming there. I find it a fascinating story, just everything coming together at once. But it's also a silly story with a silly animal that do silly things. Yeah, I mean, it's literally a war with a big, dumb bird. <laughs> and Australia lost. <laughs> but there's like I still can't help but feel like there's a there was a fail there was a bigger failure a deep in a deeper level from the government uh, and oh, yeah. the people had to suffer for it. The emus are like a side note. The government kind of failed okay. its people in many ways, so I, I do feel sorry for the farmers that had to deal with it. So uh, I think sorry, it's a, Matt. Are you turning Canadian? Did You're I say sorry? I've said You've done that, that for twice years. now. I think today. Yeah, I've said that for oh, years. I say oh. that you know, all the time. <laughs> I don't remember the reason why. But I, I don't know. Probably from all that snow there in Utah. Yeah, I think I'm Canadian now. I haven't said a, <laughs> but the government failed its people, eh? Uh, so I feel sorry <laughs> for the people, eh? No, <laughs> but uh, no, I really, you really do feel sorry for the people. Uh, the farmers and the veterans of the world war one that had to deal with all this crap. But, uh, yeah. Dave, that is, that's the story of the great emu war. That's crazy. And yeah. You know, it is, it, it does have some, it's harder for us. It just sounds silly and you're and, and brainless how it was all handled. But yet at the same time, if you think about it, it was during the depression time where almost, almost, Everyone had absolutely nothing. And, you know, so we make fun of the government and everything for something like that. But yet, uh, you know, I think Western Australia was one of those uh, places that were, it was still very sparsely populated very. off the beaten path. And they're struggling to, you know, keep their centers going, you know, but they need, even though they did need that wheat, 
you know, in those sparsely populated areas. But yeah, it was just a tough time. It's hard to, it, if, even though we make fun of it, it is hard to see, or it is hard to, to picture what they were going through and how they had less to be able to try to solve a problem like that too. Well, you know? I'm actually glad. Depression was a serious thing. Oh yeah. And I'm glad that you put that together. That's kind of what I wanted to put over is that it's a silly story in a, with a silly animal. But it was a serious, it was a serious issue. And there's more yeah. to, there's always more to something, right? Yeah. So I, I do want to give um, some credit to a YouTube show where I got, I got a lot of my information from uh, World Graphics. It's uh, the bald British guy who does a lot of channels on YouTube. His shows are always really good. So I got a lot of information for there. I just, I felt the need to give him credit for some of the information oh, yeah. I gave and also, I found uh, quite a few of really funny emu war videos on YouTube. One was like a live action. It's just ridiculous, David. <laughs> it's it's a short film, about 30, 40 minutes. It's worth the time. I posted it on our social media a few days ago. And then, oh, oh okay. dude, it's so funny. It's, it's the sil- they're just overacting, but like in a, they know they're overacting way and like, the emus are coming. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and then uh, I watched one yesterday, like a video game cutscene. It was like made like a video game cutscene with emus that were taking over the country. So they they like they like <laughs> let a trap for all the Australian soldiers, and all the Australian soldiers are in their outback gear and wearing a cowboyish the outback hat. <laughs> so uh-huh. they just they go to war with these emus, and then they get on their tv or uh, iphone and they're like oh, we we got him mate we got all the emus and the guy's like did you now and he takes his mask off and he's an emu <laughs> <laughs> and the emus have taken over uh, sydney and canberra and it's just hilarious it's so silly it's oh, so nice. dumb but like it's hilarious so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of funny content about the great emu war out there and uh-huh. <laughs> And Dave, apparently there's going to be a major film about the emu war. It is really? supposed to be an action comedy detailing the events. The writers are John Cleese. Okay. And Rob Schneider. <laughs> what a combination that is, right? You got like old timey yeah. comedic genius and John Cleese. And I then- was on the right path. It was a Monty Python movie. <laughs> yeah. Or it will be Monty now. Python. <laughs> John Cleese, <laughs> and then you throw in Rob Schneider. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> it is uh, scheduled to begin production sometime this year. I don't know when it's going to come out. Probably next year. Sounds like. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> John Cleese and Rob Schneider is not a two I would think of pairing up to write something. <laughs> no. But That's uh. Funny. Dave, that is going to wrap up the episode. I hope everyone enjoyed the story of the Great Emu War. I certainly enjoyed researching it. This was this was one that was uh, one of the harder ones. Like, I had to work for the most, but uh, I'm very happy that we finally covered it. And that's one thing I really like about our show, Dave, is that we aren't strictly an animal attack show. We are an animal story show, is how I claim it. And yeah. we've uh, we've ran into uh, several other podcasts doing well, a lot a bit of what we're doing, and I feel like uh, they kind of limit themselves to just animal attacks. There's more stories out there than just attacks. And Dave, we are still we're still the original animal attack animal story podcast that I'm aware of. Sweet, and there are several others now that are kind of doing what we're doing, and that's that's fine. And many do a lot better viewership than we do, and that's cool. Uh, in fact, I would rather make friends with them. Uh, but no. Dave, we still are the originals. I gotta, I gotta say that. And we absolutely appreciate everything we get from the listeners. Thank you, everyone from around the world who listens. It's awesome to know that people enjoy the show. So, Dave, if the listeners enjoy the show, what is something they can do for us? Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, wherever you listen to. Subscribe, rate, review. Give us five stars. Say something you like about the show. It really helps us gain more attention, gain more listeners. If you really want to help uh, assuage um, 
um, Matt and I from our emotional damage. You can donate monetarily at uh, PayPal or Venmo. <laughs> that was a good one, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can uh, don't always donate to the show. Uh, all, all of the uh, information is in the description below. And we would always appreciate that. And Dave, we actually have a, a super shout out to get for somebody who did donate. Sweet. Super shout out. We want to thank Adam very much. He is actually in Western Australia, oddly enough. Adam. <laughs> uh, he, he lives in Perth, which is not, I mean, Australia's a big continent. That's, big country. That's Western Australia. It is Western Australia, but our story takes place more in like inland than where Perth is. Okay. Anyway, yeah, he's in Western Australia. So thank you for your donation, Adam. We really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, so uh, Cheetor, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Well, I just got off the phone with Dante, and he said he was super excited to be coming over. He also has some requests. He requests at least five bottles of vodka, a keg of beer, a vehicle to drive to the bar, his own bedroom, chicken nuggets to be stocked constantly, and bonus money to go to the strip club and provide for his girlfriend there. Sounds just like the Dante I remember. Ugh. Oh, man, what did oh. I get myself into, Dave? You're in for it, Matt. It sounds like Dante drinks like a fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I guess yeah. I got I to I create a backstory and voice for Dante now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll figure that out next time. Anyway, this is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Be a part of building us up, and we will see you next time. Bye.